Daily Grind Podcast presents Reading Segment. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Reading Segment, which is part of the Daily Grind Podcast. Daily Grind Podcast uh, usually has three topics, but Reading Segment usually has one, and it's different because Reading Segment is where I'm reading books and blog posts and provide my commentary. Today, I picked one blog post written by Tiffany Bova. It's called How Companies Thrive by Making You Obsessed. Uh, Why did I pick this one? Because, uh, well, first of all, it's great. Second, because the topic here is the one I'm obsessed about on a daily basis and in my work. It's customer service, customer experience being the king. I believe that firmly and every product Techery works on, we always make sure that it's always customer service driven or customer experience centric. Why did I pick this post again is because not only the topic is great, but also uh, the author actually describes how it's the king and why it's the king on the exa- using the example of Sephora, which is a well-known uh, pioneer of customer experience uh, approach in the United States and in the world. So let's go. How much did your last Uber ride, hotel room, airline ticket, or Starbucks coffee cost? No cheating if you had to submit it on an expense report that doesn't count. Now, which company have you recently engaged with that left you sitting on hold for customer service or didn't get back to you quickly? or shipped their own product and made the return process a nightmare. I'm betting you remember the brand names of the latter experiences much more vividly than the previous, and you aren't afraid to share them either. Recent snafus caused by subpar customer experience have made national and in some cases even international news, including United Airlines, which dragged a passenger off one of its airplanes, and Wells Fargo, which signed up people for additional accounts without their consent. These two episodes erased much of the goodwill that these well-respected brands and their CX efforts had built up over many decades. Unfortunately, many companies lose sight of customer experience and still have a narrow view of the drivers in delivering a compelling one, mostly because of three things. One is... They don't agree in what a compelling customer experience actually is. Second, they don't have a formal key performance indicator KPI to manage and track performance against. And three, there is no one owner of customer experience, but rather many roles of people or functions responsible for pieces and parts of it. Consumers today are more informed and demanding than ever of the business-to-consumer brands they interact with. Many B2B brands make the mistake in thinking that all the hype around customer experience is applicable or valuable only to B2C companies. That couldn't be further from the truth. You must remember that B2C customers, the ones who are more demanding and informed, bring the same expectations and purchasing habits into their workplace. Because of this, Companies can learn and apply a lot from B2C companies in a B2B environment. Make no mistake though, regardless of what industry you're in or what segment you serve, there is no way around this. Becoming a customer-led company 
one that's obsessively focused on customers and their experiences with a brand isn't just one of many growth paths. It is the growth path that must become the foundation. A great case study for growth through customer experience is Sephora, which has been a trailblazer in the beauty retail industry for decades. In 2016, it gained market share across all regions and recorded double-digit growth in both revenue and profits. More than 100 stores were opened in 2016. The brand has opened 17 new stores in the United States in 2017 alone. From its early days, Sephora has been focused on inventing new ways to make the beauty shopping experience fun and engaging for its customers. Originally, it didn't sell anything but other companies' products. So what made the brand so unique? Many would say it wasn't what it sold, but how Sephora sold it, and how its customers felt when they engaged with the brand and its employees. Sephora was one of the first beauty retailers to organize stores by product instead of brand, launch an e-commerce platform, launch native mobile applications, Utilize data from its Beauty Insider program to send personalized communications and recommendations. Integrate with Pinterest. Use advanced technology such as beacons in stores. Introduce mobile point-of-sale systems. The list is long. In its early days, Sephora and its entrepreneur CEO, Dominic Mondanat, recognized that the context of the beauty business was changing from boutiques to large multi-product stores and from small lot produ production of, uh, of a finite number of items to vast catalogs of increasingly consumer-defined product lines. Mandana also was one of the first to recognize the increasing interconnectedness of discrete industries such as cosmetics and perfumes into a more monolithic solutions-oriented industry called beauty. Thus, this, the history of Sephora is the story of how Mondanai and those who followed him combined these different businesses and turned them into interactive and eventually digital consumer experiences. One of Mondanai's first product innovations was what he called assisted self-service, essentially meaning that unlike the rule at other cosmetic stores of that era, he let customers actually try products before they bought them. He used it to sell more products to existing customers, attract new customers, and optimize sales. Needless to say, this concept was copied and has since swept the world of beauty retailing. The first sign that Sephora was going to do something new came in 1999, right at the peak of the e-commerce boom, when the company announced its first online store targeted at the US market. In an era when almost every other beauty product company was still selling its products in supermarkets, drugstores, and pharmacies, such a move was unorthodox, even shocking. Indeed, many of Sephora's comp competitors didn't take the same step for another decade, giving the brand a big head start. In 2006, the ever-innovative Sephora was once again pushing the envelope. It wanted to get closer to an entirely new set of customers, those who weren't interested in patronizing an exclusive beauty and cosmetic store. It began by opening small, typically 1,500 square feet pop-up shops inside JCPenney stores in the United States. By the end of 2017, there were nearly 650 of them in operation, covering 75% of all JCPenney stores. 
Crucial to Sephora's success was the sequence in which it struck these partnerships, launched its own initiatives and worked with previous competitors. A large part of what allows Sephora to continue to find growth opportunities is the usage of the data it collects. From point-of-sale machines and loyalty programs to online purchases and social media campaigns, Sephora's ability to learn what its customers want and what they may want in the future helps it stay ahead in delivering a compelling customer experience over time, resulting in repeat and loyal customers. Sephora also learned that there, there are two different types of beauty product customers, those who know what they want and those who want to try the items first, which means that even as, as Sephora was showing strong growth on its own and through its partnership with JCPenney, it began selling its products on Amazon. Once again, using cooperation, co uh, competition to serve its common customers better. Whether it's in its own branded retail storefront, in the pop-up in JCPenney, or via online partnership with Amazon, when it comes to growth, nothing is off the table if it meets customer expectations and satisfies pent-up demand. The company's newest concept, the Sephora Studio, a smaller store concept with high-tech beauty upgrades, pushes the customer experience envelope even further. Research found that 43% of consumers would pay up to 10% more for a personalized shopping experience and brands that create personalized experiences by integrating advanced digital technologies and proprietary data for, for customers are seeing revenue increase by 6 to 10%, two to three times faster than those who don't. That's great news for Sephora, which according to Sale through its first annual retail personalization index provides the most personalized customer experience in the beauty business. There's no way to fake your way through the customer experience growth path. No amount of money, advertising, or vast product portfolio will make up for a subpar experience. Using a customer-centric approach to achieve growth is to drive customer obsession throughout the entire organization. Today, you need an exceptional sales team. You need to have a strong marketing team. You need a responsive customer service team. By comparison, you may only need a good enough product. Don't get me wrong, you can't just have the best customer experience in town and serve terrible food or sell a cup of coffee or sell a product that doesn't work. In the future, as the very definition of a customer evolves, some companies will need to consider that a customer could also be a thing. Refrigerator, piece of machinery, chatbot, etc. Or even a place, household, automobile, hotel. Gardner predicts that by uh, 2018, I think it's a mistake, I think it's, it's a typo here, that by some year in the future, 6 billion connected things will be requesting support. Think about it this way. Soon, your automobile will not only be able to let you know it needs its oil changed, but it could also drive itself to the local auto mechanic to get it done while you're working. Today, your smart appliances can reorder supplies when needed, like your washing machine knowing it has done 25 loads and needs more laundry detergent, or your air conditioner knowing it has been 90 days since you replaced the filter. While in these examples, the machines are still serving people, 
This changes the business customer relationship in a profound way. Navigating a successful customer experience growth path can be a long, often a confusing journey. Long because your relationship with customers can evolve over years and confusing because it's constantly changing and evolving and on some occasions counterintuitive, most of it now controlled by the customer and not you. In other words, you have the most control over your destiny by having the least control over what your customers actually do with you. A great article. Uh, I have a couple of questions. Obviously, I can't I can't ask the author, and uh, they're more rhetoric than uh, their actual questions to her. But basically, she's talking about a couple of things here that are a little arguable. I think. Well. They're factual about Sephora being in JCPenney stores. Now, as we all know, JCPenney is living through a not very good phase of their lives right now. Their life, uh, the, the giant is suffering from what's happening to uh, giant retail stores, offline stores, right? Like we all know what happened to Sears. We all know what happened to Toys R Us and all that stuff. So I'm wondering if this bat that they've made to go along with JCPenney was the right one because apparently JCPenney's no more. I mean, there will be no more, I guess, very soon because that's the trend, right? Where everything is going and uh, having 600, 650 in operation covering 75% of all JCPenney stores, that's a lot. And that could be, could be a big problem. Oh yeah, I remembered. So in the beginning she says, um, now, which company have you recently engaged with that left you sitting on hold for customer service or didn't get back to you quickly or shipped their own product and made them return process a nightmare? Well, I can name one. Actually, to just this morning today, I was sitting up my, my newsletter campaign, which goes out every Sunday to select number of contacts that obviously upped it in. And uh, they are my, connection LinkedIn, my connections on LinkedIn. And uh, the newsletter is called Weekly Grind. That's when I combine all my content uh, for the week and add more analytical content to it. Just, you know, just a Sunday read, basically. Nothing Sally or something like that. Everything's clean and nice. Uh, and I try to run the campaign, my first campaign through MailChimp, the best service in the world for email marketing. And uh, my campaign was, I mean... As expected, it got suspended because they never send your campaign right away because they need to find out more about you and more about the list and all that stuff. And that's understandable. Only if it wouldn't take them forever. And it did. And they never got back to me. And I sent I sent them three support requests and no one got back to me even though they claim they have a 24-7 support. So what I did... Uh, have to do eventually in order to still be on my schedule and send the newsletter on Sunday as I was planning to do. Uh, I switched to a different company and that provider also sp suspended my campaign, but they verified my campaign within five minutes after they uh, after it got suspended. And uh, they sent the emails out and people got them on Sunday. And uh, well, as I can see from the stats they're reading, subscribing and unsubscribing, the usual stuff. But... Uh, this company made it work. MailChimp didn't. So yeah, that's it's, it's an off-topic remark, but basically it's on topic because it's customer experience. And this is just a great example of, you know, how 
big companies, they need to live up to their reputation. For example, with Amazon, it's pretty much virtually impossible because the automation is, is so great and uh, customer experience is amazing because they have amazing automation, not because they have amazing people. Uh, just like I mentioned in one of my previous videos, you, your, your, I, I mean, the idea is to uh, reinvest and invest in processes rather than people scaling because people are people they're you know human error is always going to be a part of 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 the of the process but if you invest in processes then you help make la uh, fewer people more efficient and that's what it's all about that's how amazon uh, operates on a daily basis so all customer experience is 90 percent automatic automatic the rest yeah they hand it to people but those are not critical issues not critical things mailchimp decided to go a different route as far as i understand they they let a machine check your list for whatever i don't know what triggered them but uh the machine says red flag and then humans have to actually go and verify it and that's where the problem is so yeah customer experience is still the king mailchimp just basically lost uh let me calculate they lost about a hundred bucks a year from me which is obviously not a lot but if you combine 100 bucks if you multiply that by you know 2 million that's that's freaking a lot so if your customer experience is as bad as it was with me this morning every time then the valuation of your company and value of your company to your customers which is the most important metric here it will steadily it will steadily be decreasing so this is something you have to always remember if you're a startup or even if you're a MailChimp type of company, customer experience is the king. Nothing changed. You have to only evolve from now. And uh, those thoughts in, uh, in the end of the, uh, of the article about customers being machines, that's, that's a novelty thing. It's really something incredible. I've been thinking about this before. Like she's given this example when a car... Uh, drives itself to your local mechanic and gets the oil changed there by its own, uh, well, I mean, there will be a person. But that's exactly where, where, where this customer experience moment happens. If that person fucks up or if that person doesn't show up or if that person takes forever and your car doesn't return back by the time it has to be back, that's when the customer experience starts mattering even more. But the customer is your car. It's not, you know, not you. You're, you're basically, you're the one who pays for it, right? But the car is there and the car evaluates quality of work, basically. It's crazy, but that's that's what it's going to be about. Uh, if you're, and, and your car doesn't have any compassion, doesn't have empathy, sympathy, or any emotions, right? So your mechanic can't tell your car that his kid is sick. And that's why he was 10 minutes late. And that's why you are now 10 minutes late because your car didn't get back to, to you on time and you couldn't pick up your kid from school or something like that. And those things will start happening. And, and those uh, shops and those, uh, those providers who before that could use this human element to, you know, to, to get you involved emotionally and solve the problem and not get a bad review now they will not have this possibility anymore because machines have no feelings and they will be evaluating your work by 
very strong firm metrics by the numbers and by you know by, by very strict performance uh, performance metrics. And I, I think it's great, and I think it's we're entering a new phase here. Uh, I think customer experience will become not just the king, but it will be the most important uh, advantage and the most important competitive advantage uh, in the years to come. I thank you for listening and watching. Uh, this video is available on IGTV and the audio is available on my uh, podcast. This episode will probably make it to my weekly grind. If you're one of my lucky subscribers, uh, hello and thank you for being with me. Have a great Monday and uh, I'll talk to you soon. This was Reading Segment. Bye. Thank you for listening to this reading segment. Don't forget to check out more segments on the Daily Grind podcast. You can always connect with Alex on Instagram and LinkedIn to start a meaningful conversation or just for the sake of it. That's it for today, guys. Come back tomorrow for more.